Okay, everybody. It's time to pray to the God who watches o'er us. It's time for all the children here to pray. All right, Psalm 148 out of the hymnal. This great psalm on the in thanksgiving for creation and asking the creation to praise the Lord. Hymn 534 is the hymn for the week. So Psalm 148, we'll pray responsively by half verse, and the verse for the week in the congregation at prayer is also on creation, Psalm 33, verse 6. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him all his angels. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens. And you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. Praise the Lord from the earth. Fire and hail, snow and mist. Mountains and all hills. Beasts and all livestock. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Young men and maidens together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, by your almighty word you created and sustain your creation. 
We praise and thank you for sustaining grace and the gift of life. Grant us ever to confess you as our faithful God and Lord. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. What is the first article of the Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Heavenly Father, you are God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator and sustainer of all things. We give thanks to you that you have made us and all creatures, that you have given us our bodies and souls, eyes, ears, and all our members, our reason and all our senses, and that you still take care of them. You also give us clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, spouse and children, land, animals, and all we have. You richly and daily provide us with all that we need to support us in our body and life. You defend us against all danger and guard and protect us from all evil. All this you do for us out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in us. Grant us grace, through your grace of your only begotten Son, to believe that this is most certainly true and to ever thank and praise, serve and obey you as long as we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, let us pray. Heavenly Father, preserve in their baptismal faith Doreen, Pat, Benjamin, John, Autumn, Easton, Elijah, Esme, John, Debbie, Philip, Lois, Russell, and Rachel against every assault and attack of the evil one. We give thanks to you for the gift of marriage, for your sustaining grace to Dave and Anna, Kent and Christine, Jim and Faith celebrating wedding anniversaries and pray that you would sustain them by your love in their love and commitments to each other. We commend to you all of the sick of our congregation, Julie Golterman's uncle Luther Gutnecht, bring healing to him after his surgery for a broken hip, Paul Schmidt as he recovers from a leg amputation, David Berger recovering from a fall and undergoing further testing, Dr. Scare, who is recovering from hip replacement surgery. Carol, recovering from hospitalization. Newborn Isaiah, who has had open heart surgery and who will face further surgeries down the road. Kay Trapp, who is being treated for a reoccurrence of breast cancer. Kathy, Miller, Duane, Schneider, Heather Peters, Barbara Weeding, and Josiah Berenger, all in various stages of treatment for cancer, bring healing and renewal of health and strength according to your gracious will. 
Grant them your peace, which surpasses all understanding, to bear up under the affliction of physical infirmity with the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life sustaining them. All this we ask, including your blessing upon our study, through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lord enthroned in heavenly splendor. This is in the Redeemer section of the hymnal, and it really is a Eucharistic or communion hymn. Uh, Lord enthroned in heavenly splendor. There it speaks about the ascension to the Father's right hand, first begotten from the dead, his resurrection and ascension. You alone are strong defender, lifting up your people's head to the victory of the cross, Jesus' true and living bread. And now stanza two, though the lowliest form now veil you, is a reference to the bread and wine of the sacrament. So, though the lowliest form now veil you, as of old in Bethlehem when the little baby Jesus was laid into the manger, here in the sacrament, as there at Bethlehem, your angels hail you. We think about all the heavenly host, all of the company of heaven, and they hail you as the branch and the flower of Jesse's stem. Alleluia, we in worship join with them. Paschal lamb, your offering finished. This morning in the John reading, if you, if you read it this morning, John 1, after Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist proclaimed of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Paschal lamb is the Passover lamb. Christ, our true Passover, has been sacrificed for us Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the call to the feast, the Paschal feast, uh, the true Passover in Jesus' body and blood, you know, connects the Old Testament Passover with its fulfillment in Jesus' death and in the sacrament. So Paschal lamb, your offering finished. It is finished. Once for all, when you were slain, in its fullness undiminished shall forevermore remain. So the, the durative nature of the atonement of Christ for all time, once for all. Alleluia, cleansing souls from every stain. Life imparting heavenly manna. So the true manna from heaven is not what Moses gave in the wilderness, but what Jesus gives, his very body and blood. Stricken rock with streaming side. Remember how Moses was instructed the first time to strike the rock, and he did, and that was correct. Then the next time to speak to the rock, but he struck it again. See, the offense is not mere disobedience, but the offense is that it's an offense against the atonement of Christ, who is struck once for all. See, So stricken rock with streaming side, and that's why John, the apostle, an evangelist at the, in chapter 19, swears on oath the blood and water coming out of Jesus' side. He's seen it, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you may believe Christ is the Paschal Lamb. Christ is the offering. Christ is the priest. Christ is the second Adam. 
Okay. So heaven and earth with loud hosanna, save us now, worship you, the lamb who died. Alleluia, alleluia, risen, ascended, glorified, risen, ascended, glorified. It's a great hymn as it links. First of all, it uses lots of biblical language. Biblical language, which is concrete. You know, the, the piercing of the side of Jesus, the striking of the rock, the manna, the babe of Bethlehem, the angels singing. So it's not a lot of the, um, you know, slippery, vague, uh, 19th century, touchy-feely. I know a lot of you are touchy-feely, but there's a right touchy-feeliness and then a wrong one, okay? So a little, little exegesis on this hymn. It's a great hymn. I mean, if you think George Bourne, 1840 to 1925, there weren't a lot of good hymns written during that period of time. So we are bold to sing it. Lord enthroned in heavenly splendor, first begotten from the dead, you alone are strong defender, lifting up your people's head. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Jesus, true and living bread. Jesus, true and living bread. Though the lowliest form now veil you as of old in Bethlehem, here as there your angels hail you, branch and flower of Jesse's stem. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. We in worship join with them. We in worship join with them. Paschal Lamb, your offering finished once for all when you were slain. In its fullness undiminished shall forevermore remain. Alleluia, 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 cleansing souls from every stain, cleansing souls from every stain. Life imparting heavenly manna, stricken rock with streaming sight. Heaven and earth with loud hosanna, worship you, the Lamb who died. Alleluia, 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 risen, ascended, glorified. Risen, ascended, glorified. I didn't mention it. Notice how it 
it's proclamatory, but it's actually addressed to the Son, uh, Lord, the Lord Jesus, enthroned in heavenly splendor. You know, you alone are strong defender. See, so it's it's addressed to him as a prayer and a song of praise. It's way better than those Jesus is my boyfriend songs. Mark, is this in uh, hymnals that you... Yeah, I didn't know if it was or not. So. All right, children of the Heavenly Father, Matthew chapter 15. Before I forget, um, we have so many pastors that no one can substitute for me next week. So... Um, uh, Pastor Christensen is teaching. Pastor Gelbach is working. So we will not have class, Bible class, next Thursday. I will be in St. Louis for the Board for National Mission Meeting. Did you know Pearson's going to Africa for some missionary thing? Uh, I knew that. I gave it a recommendation for her. Oh, yeah, she's going on the 19th. The 19th of October. Okay. Um, Share, can you jot that down for the congregation at prayer weekend? And also Luther Gutnecht. How is he doing? So um, he had surgery on Tuesday. Tuesday and um, he, the surgery went well, but he also has dementia. Uh, so he's not cooking around like yeah, he should. Yeah. Um, but he's not eating. But uh, he said the Lord's prayer. Okay. Good. Uh, those of you who know Paul Schmidt, you know, friend of the congregation, longtime friend of Pat Hanlos, he's been having this terrible circulation problem in his uh, left leg and uh, just been doctoring for months and months and months. And they developed an infection. They took off some toes initially and then yesterday amputated just below the knee. So he's at Frederick, Maine campus. What's that? That's Paul Anhauser. That's a completely different individual. All right. So Matthew chapter 15. We're in this um, interlude between the kingdom parables discourse and then the discourse on the forgiveness of sins, which is in Matthew chapter 18. So we won't get to that discourse today. That's the fourth discourse. But we'll set up chapter 15 by talking about the corruption of original sin. David in Psalm 51 said, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It was Psalm 51 that he prayed in response to Nathan's ministry to him, calling him to repentance for the adultery with Bathsheba and the conspiracy that resulted in the murder of Uriah the Hittite in an attempt to cover up his actions. In Genesis 6, it says of humanity, the thoughts and inclinations of man's heart is evil continually from his mother's womb. Um, and there are other passages in Scripture, too, that speak of it. What does it mean Original sin, the corruption of original sin, means that it isn't simply that human beings, since the fall, do sinful things, or say sinful things, or think sinful things. 
as if sin is sort of like something outside of us we occasionally dip into, thought, word, deed. But rather, a more fundamental problem, they are sinners. So that the human nature created in a state of innocence at the beginning has been corrupted. So when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't just engage in a sinful act, breaking a commandment, but by so doing, they became sinful. Okay? We, this is why so often in confessions of sin, they're just that. They're called confession of sin without an S on the end. As opposed to confession of sins, we just think about sinful acts. The Pharisees then were very, very prone to thinking of sins strictly in terms of actions, sort of like outside of myself. So in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel here, remember we had Jesus say, you've heard it said you shall not murder, I say to you whoever is angry is in danger of the judgment. You shall not commit adultery. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So no one teaches the depth of human sin like Jesus does. Conversely, no one proclaims the love of God and the salvation and cleansing of the sinner like Jesus does. So uh, it it uh, is, is written in the beginning of chapter 15, you know, if you have the book. Uh, these are editorial remarks, not by me, but by the editors of the New King James. Defilement comes from within, but that's good. I mean, that's a good title. So, verse 1 and following, and, and notice how he will handle the law, again, in this, the Ten Commandments and, and the Torah. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Now, I had to read it that way with a little bit of snottiness because that's how they were. They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They're supposed to wash their hands. The scribes and the Pharisees were classic legalists. Okay, straining out a gnat, as Jesus would say, and swallowing the camel, missing the point. Now, where do these, you know, these traditions of the elders, a lot of these traditions are not even recorded in the scripture. They're just extrapolations uh, upon those things. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. That's the fourth commandment, the first one in the second table of the law. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Whoa. There you go. And that, where is this found? Well, it's in Exodus 20 and it's in Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 27. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, 
You know, Mom and Dad, whatever you might have received from me for your help and benefit, I'm going to dedicate that to the temple. Is released from honoring his father and mother. Shame on you. That's an editorial for me, but I want to give you the flavor. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Okay. And the, the commandment of God, namely to honor your father and your mother. It is the chief obligation you have under the second table of the law. And here he's saying, notice, this applies to adult children who are to honor their father and their mother. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Going to give this to the temple after, of course, I've taken my cruise. I've made, use, I've made good use of it. If there's anything left, then it's going to go to the temple. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. What do we call that? There you go. Lip service. And honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. So the appearance of righteousness wasn't righteousness at all, but vileness. And in vain, they worship me. Vain worship is empty worship. It is worship without that which is at the heart of worship, which is true repentance and faith. See, faith in Christ, repentant faith, the desire for his forgiveness because we are sinners who cannot save ourselves. He is our righteousness. That's the essence of true worship. But for them, they did these things or they found ways not to do them because they trusted in their own merits and view of reality. Okay? That's why the Pharisees were great about um, I'm married to uh, Sarah. Oh, Sarah, I'm tired of Sarah. Well, Moses permitted a certificate of divorce, so if I divorce her in the right way, according to the law, I can get rid of Sarah and go to Rebecca. And if Rebecca displeases me, I can keep the law, write the certificate of divorce, divorce Rebecca, and go to Rachel. Get the idea? So, um, which is not at all what the law was about. In Didache last night, we talked about at the heart of the law is, first table, love for God. Second table, love for the neighbor. And such love is not self-centered, but such love is self-giving and sacrificial. So you love your neighbor in place of yourself. Okay? The Pharisees, this is the key, this is the problem, one of the key problems with works righteousness, trusting in your own works. It's the trusting in your own works for the benefit that you're going to get out of it, which is fundamentally selfish. To which the person who believes that way, well, if I'm not going to get something out of it, what's the point? Why bother? Yeah. 
What am I going to get out of helping my mother, you know? Yeah. Just throw her in some place and let somebody else deal with her, right? Because mm -hmm. it's of no benefit to me. No, in fact, it's a hindrance. It, it's a hindrance. It interferes, it interferes with my life, okay? All right. better things to do. Comments here? Mark? Yes. The word that jumped into mind was futility. Yep. Complete and utter futility. Complete and utter futility. Yeah. And as I, but it, yeah. So the outward appearance, and that's. So what is he going to call? What is he going to yeah, call the? Whited sepulchers. Yeah, whitewashed sepulchers. You know. White and clean looking on the outside, but inward full of dead men's bones. And, and again, where did we begin? We began with the discussion of original sin. Because of original sin, there is no, you know, prior to one's conversion, there is no ability or natural fear of God, love for God, or trust in God. That's what that means. Yep. But I was also talking about the people around them. Oh, yes. That is part of the draw, which indicates that also a part of original sin is this self-reliance. We don't think of self-reliance as being sinful, but if the reliance is in self and not in the Lord, it's wickedness and it's idolatry. Okay. You got that look again, you know, John. So. I thought it was interesting. Isaiah prophesied about you. Jesus wasn't saying Isaiah was prophesying to the people there 700 which, years earlier. Which he was. But for, for and these the, guys to hear. That Isaiah was prophesying about you. And the importance of that is... Jesus was rejected as the Messiah. Again, I, I don't know how many times I've repeated this. Because of the teaching of salvation by grace and not by works. That's why he was rejected. But that false teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes, it goes back into the Old Testament. It was out of self-centered works righteousness that they cursed Moses. What did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? It'd be better for us to be in Egypt. At least we had good food there. All of their grumbling and complaining throughout, you know, was from the same faith. So the false teaching of a works righteousness and that belief was the perennial problem in the Old Testament. And it, it was the first thing to surface in the church after Pentecost. What was the controversy for which the Jerusalem council was, was convened? The Judaizing problem. You must, okay, the Gentiles can come in, but they have to be circumcised first and follow the ceremonial laws of Moses. And so, this is what causes Paul. Paul goes with Barnabas on his first missionary journey, Asia Minor, present-day 
Turkey, you know, just north of this Mediterranean Sea there. And churches are founded, drawn out of the synagogues of the Jews and so forth. And the wonderful gift of salvation by grace and not by human works, the freedom of the gospel, Jewish congregations, but also congregations with Gentiles. Gentiles were hearing from this Jewish preacher, uh, Paul and Barnabas, that salvation was for them. Uh, there, God shows no partiality. You know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and salvation is a gift of God's grace in Christ. So they're hearing that. Paul and Barnabas leave. Behind him comes these false brethren. Well, you know, Paul's a nice guy, but. Always beware of the but. It was a big but. Very big but. Uh, yes? Well, faith without works may be dead works, dead faith, but you cannot rely upon your works. Works serve the neighbor, not the self. Yeah. I, I would just say that um, those works, um, I think, show that you have that faith, that true faith. True enough. True enough. Let me finish making the point here. What Paul then does in his first uh, small book of Galatians, he starts out, you know, this little greeting, and then he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you by the grace of Christ to another gospel. Though we, he even names himself, if I start preaching to you another gospel, if we or an angel from heaven speaks any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be damned to hell. That's what he says, anathema. So strongly, you cannot confuse Law and gospel. You cannot, uh, you cannot mix faith and works. Works must be seen as the byproduct of faith and never the other way around. And works always serve you know, the neighbor and not the self. But at any rate, this verse uh, 1 through 9, so he's addressed to the scribes and Pharisees. Now in verse 10, he is continuing, but he's going to address the multitudes. Now remember, the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus, you know, like I said at the beginning, why do your disciples transgress the traditions? So they were coming to Jesus, but for a different reason than the multitudes were. Okay? Why were the multitudes coming to Jesus? To... to, to, to Sincerely learn, they had been touched by the grace of God, by the word of the gospel. Why are the scribes and Pharisees coming? To trap him. They don't believe in him, but they want to trap him. They also view him to be a what? A threat. Who said that? A threat. Okay. They viewed him to be a threat because though the people sometimes looked up to the Pharisees, they received no comfort from them, no hope from them. To see all of these people clamoring after Jesus, it has reduced their influence. Do you think they understood that that's part of what it was? Um, sorry. <laughs> I'll have to phrase that sentence again. Sorry. All right. Verse 10. So then he called the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand. 
Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Now, I'm going to comment about this in a moment, but I want you to hear a little bit more. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered, too bad, so sad. No. He answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Yes. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Wow. All right. Now, there's a lot to comment on here. I didn't even get a chance to ask the question. Uh, Susan brought it up. What parable, in the previous discourse, the third discourse, what parable did Jesus tell about a man sowed good seed, and then at night an enemy sowed bad seed? The tares and the wheat, right. The Lord sows the good seed you know, by the word of the gospel of God's grace, and it produces believers. But an enemy has come, and he sows the bad seed, and the bad seed is the impenitent unbeliever who rejects the gospel. Who is he calling the bad seed or the weeds or the plant which the Heavenly Father has not planted? the Pharisees and the scribes, because of their works righteousness. What does he also call them in verse 14? Blind leaders. So on this, we've had this theme, it's all over the Bible. Blindness is related to impenitence, unbelief, rejection of the gospel. Okay? So they reinforce, the, those who are blind are reinforced in their blindness by the leaders of the blind the scribes and Pharisees, who do not teach them the way of righteousness. And the way of righteousness is found in repentance and faith in Christ, but they teach them the way of destruction. So, verse 13, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted, but for now, leave it alone, like the parable of the tares. Let it alone until the judgment, and then the angels will gather them. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and... If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, I'm still coming back up to the, uh, what goes out of the mouth. Okay, I'm going to come back to verse 11. Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Yes. Do you, yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you not yet understand? I mean, how often have you gone to Coffee Break Bible study? That whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. So you see, he's going back to the parable that um, it begins with. It's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. It goes into the stomach and is eliminated. Beth and I were having a discussion about that this morning. Oh, well, now we're... <laughs> no filter, Bill, when you get older, you know. The older you get, the less filter. Isn't that true? Yep. 
All right. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Aha. So now you see in verse 18 the key to understanding verse 10, uh, verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out. Because what comes out proceeds of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And the heart is the seat of faith and faith's affections. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now, that's what proceeds out of the heart even before, because it's in the heart, even before the actions are done. Notice how the commandments are also there. Murders, fifth commandment. Adulteries, sixth commandment. Fornications, sixth commandment. Thefts, seventh commandment. False witness, eighth commandment. And blasphemies, the first table of the law, and so forth. It's, it's amazing how often Jesus refers to the Ten Commandments, which, again, you know, when we go through Didache, keep reasserting this, that all across church history in catechesis, the Ten Commandments, the law, has been a part of the foundational catechesis. But the right understanding of it, you know, does God give us the law so we can puff ourselves up and say, I think, God, I'm better than Larry over here? Or is it to show us our sin and how much we need a Savior? And it is, of course, the latter. So out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. So when in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth, external food, but what comes out, which is a confession of faith. And I think it's very important that you see the emphasis upon faith and then the confession of faith. There is no such thing as a person who doesn't have faith. The scribes and Pharisees had faith. The blind that followed them had faith. It wasn't in the Lord and his grace, but they had faith. So you speak on the basis of your faith, what you believe. That's right. Okay. So these are the things which defile a man. So the murder, the adultery, the fornication, the theft... The false witness and the blasphemy is in the heart, which is a part of original sin, that corruption, even before the actions take place. Okay? The first mode of expression of the heart is what part of the body? The mouth that begins to speak. Okay? Now, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a man. Oh, man, this is politically incorrect. Okay. All right. Um, further questions or comments on these first 20 verses here. As the next encounter with the Syrophoenician woman builds upon this and becomes a further teaching for the disciples about the nature and corruption of sin and how we're all cut from the same cloth. What did the Jews falsely think about themselves with respect to other people? They were superior. They were superior. That's right. 
The church is at her worst when she segregates herself from encounters with people who are not like us in some way. The church is at her best when sinners of every stripe have free access to the gospel and sacraments. So, no further ado, we'll go, then go on to verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. There it is. Tyre and Sidon. This is the Mediterranean Sea of Galilee, the province of uh, Syria, but this is Phoenicia over here where Jezebel came from. So that it is a Canaanite region. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, True, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, to teach this section, which I say this encounter illustrates in her prayer what the scribes and Pharisees, and, and, and her actions, what the scribes and Pharisees refuse to believe about themselves or about the Lord. Let me repeat that again. She illustrates by her prayer to Jesus and her actions a completely different faith from that of the scribes and Pharisees. Let me reread the story and change it. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She's a woman of Canaan. She has no standing. She's annoying. She cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She became angry and stomped off in a huff. Who does he think he is? But she gave it one last try. Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not good to take the children's thread, bread and throw it to the little dogs. You calling me a dog? You filthy Jewish pig. Male chauvinist. That's not what she said. Does she disagree with him at any point? No. Does she conclude at any point that she's being mistreated? 
Why not? She realizes her sin. Which is worse, to be called a little dog or a poor, miserable sinner who has no standing before God by their own righteousness? Sin. The latter, right? I mean, little dogs are cute. <laughs> well, some of them are. I don't know about these pugs, you know. <laughs> the Goltermans have these. Only, well, this doesn't exactly fit. I was going to say only a mother could love a <laughs> face like that, but, but that doesn't exactly fit, you know. But So notice what she says in response. She is undeterred. And why is she undeterred? The disciples, the disciples don't know, well, they don't realize what they're saying is wrong. Jesus realizes everything that's happening. Why does he treat her this way? First, silence. He allows the disciples to say, shoot off their mouths. He seems to agree with them. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we'll talk about the meaning of that in a second. Why does he treat her that way? And then he says, it's not right to take the children's bread, the children being the children of Israel, and throw it to the little dogs being the Gentiles. He's testing her. He's testing her. Now, you've got you to gotta define what that means, he's testing her. He's testing her faith. Her faith. What's that? Jesus saw her faith. Jesus saw her faith. He knew exactly what her faith was. So the test is not to find out something he doesn't know, but he actually puts her to the test for our benefit. And for the disciples' benefit, to teach them something, to reveal. See, when Jesus puts people to the test, when the Lord puts people to the test, it's not like the teachers in the academy give a test because they want to know what the kids know or remember. He knows. But the test reveals the faith of the heart, you see. So he knew he could treat her this way. And why does she cry out to him? Because she believes she's a sinner. I have no standing. I'm a Gentile. But you are the Savior of all nations. Why would she, and I'm asserting that that is her conclusion, that he is the Savior of all nations. What word of God teaches that from the Old Testament? The promise to Abraham. In your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now there's an ordering, isn't it? The blessing to all of the nations came first through the Israelites. As Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16. It is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It doesn't mean that the Jews are superior to them, but in God's economy of salvation... He chose the Jewish nation, not because they were better than other people, but rather by showing his grace to them and giving them the word of God and the prophets, he might bring the gift of salvation to all the nations. That's the purpose of the choice of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the children of Israel. The chosen people are chosen or elected by grace and not by works. And that fundamental truth they forgot. But this Canaanite woman knew it and believed it. Notice what she says. In response to Jesus, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. She says, you're right. But even the dogs eat the crumbs. It comes first to the Jews that fall from the master's table. 
Then Jesus gives the conclusion, O woman, great is your faith, which he knew from the beginning. Now the faith was great, and this is very important, not as her act of believing. Let me repeat that. Her faith is great, not as if it is her act of believing, but rather her faith is great because the object of her faith is great. You see, I could have all the faith in the world in a chicken for salvation. And I could be as sincere as the day is long and such a faith would not be a benefit at all to me. No matter how strongly I have that faith or how much I believe it. When, when Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith, it is as if he were saying, O woman, great is your Jesus. Great is your Savior. Because her faith was not at all in what? Or in whom? In herself. That's right. It was entirely in him. So notice the contrast. That's uh, unlike the Pharisees and the defilement spoken of earlier. This is a 180 degree difference in this woman. And, and she's not offended in, in the slightest by how she is treated. Melinda's first and over here and here. It is, an, it is the Pharisee and the tax collector again. Yep. Deacon? Yeah, as far as first the Jews and the Gentiles, that's even shown in the Old Testament, like in the 40 years of the laundry, oh. where you will not go into this land because I gave it to Esau. Yeah, I, I you know, you the, won't go the, here because I gave it as a promise to fail. It would really be great, a great uh, study sometime to do uh, evangelism to the nations in the Old Testament. It would be a it would be a, a really big eye opener, okay? I was always confused by this um, verse because I thought um, her response to Jesus was a justification. So I must be wrong on that, right? You mean true, Lord? Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs. Yeah, where she says, "Well, even the the drums or the crumbs that drop from the table, the dogs are going to eat." I always looked at that as like her justification. Well, you can kind of use that language. She, here, here let, let's, let's try this on for size. Every sinner who knows their sin, and, that they're sinful, and have no standing before God by their works, every sinner has a right to the grace of God, has a right to the mercy of God. That's what she's saying. And she's correct in that. See? So this is where... I know I daily sin much and I struggle with sin, but you have baptized me. You have called me my name. You have made me your child. Okay? So we have a right to such boldness. And this woman had, has audacious boldness, but it's not at all based on her righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. Okay? It is entirely based on his grace and the promise of grace, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Does that help? Okay. Mark. And in the, in the face of Christ's humility comes forward in this woman, as you, uh, with your little scenario earlier, if pride had taken over, 
wow, you know, it would have been, you know, your scenario. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's humility. That it, I mean, this is a wonderful repartee between Jesus and this woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't, you know, I would tell a pastor, I don't recommend treating people this way. Uh, Jesus had the advantage of being able to see into her heart. Susan, did you have a... Correct. Her did prayer. The ever did they ever address Jesus that way? Never. In the Pharisee and the tax collector parable, uh, now that's Luke's gospel, but in that parable, yes? Oh, that's right. I, I forgot I'm early today. Uh, we have to go. That's too bad. All right. Uh, the Pharisee says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other sinners. That's how he begins. And the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So no class next week. And Barry, you want to come back here? Yeah. Bill, you have any time? About 11.45?